morning. How's everyone doing this morning? You doing well? Good. Well, my name is Adam Young. I'm the lead pastor here at Element Church. I want to welcome you. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning for worship uh, and for week four of our series titled Overcomers. Um, you know, we began this series several weeks ago in which we are looking at uh, individuals uh, in the scriptures who faced terrible circumstances, circumstances that make the last uh, three, four, six months of our lives pre- seem pretty uh, petty and, and not that serious, um, who faced tremendous obstacles in life, but through God, through their faith in God and their trust in God, were overcomers. Jesus taught in Matthew 16, 33, uh, he said, take heart, I want you to have encouragement, I want, you, I want to leave my peace with you, and then he says this in verse 33, uh, In this world, you will have tribulation or trouble. But take heart, for I have overcome the world. And it is through Jesus that we are overcomers. And so in this series, we've been walking through and looking at people who are overcomers, uh, who showed their faith in God uh, throughout terrible trouble and struggles and tribulations and trials in life. And through God, because of God, were overcomers. In week two, uh, we covered the story of Joseph, Joseph from the Old Testament. Uh, and, and when Joseph looked at his life, he looked and, and he could say, you know what, life isn't fair, but God. You know, everything is against me. The people I should be trusting more than anyone, those who I should be able to rely on have turned their backs on me. They've betrayed me, but God. When I'm being mistreated and and I'm being punished for something I didn't do, and I'm being ignored for the good things that I did do, but God. And that was our focus for that week. And and we set it all together, and so we're going to do it again this morning. And uh, just to get yourselves uh, engaged and and get your voices going, uh, because we're going to do it again this week. And so uh, I want you to say that after me, but God. When, when life seems like it's more than you can bear, when it just reveals itself as unfair, we can look and say, but God. But in the midst of it all, but God. And then last week we looked at the story of Ruth, uh, a story of a widow and a foreigner who had no prospects and no hope for a future. But Ruth made a decision. And so I'm going to ask you to repeat this one after me. Say, I will choose. Okay, we'll try that again. I will choose faith over fear. Ruth looked at her circumstances and said, I'll choose faith over fear. She had every reason to be afraid. Especially given her circumstances and the culture in which she found herself, she had every reason to be afraid. But she said, I'll choose faith over fear. Because I know the one true God will deliver me. He's got a plan for me. And today we're going to shift our focus to a new individual from the Old Testament, an individual named Elijah. Now, here's, here's what I want you to do. I want you to repeat after me. Okay, we're going to do this again. Say, it's not okay. Say, I'm not okay. But God is near. Say, God is near. We're going to look at the story of Elijah, and because of our limited time and because of all the amazing events that took place during his life, we're going to, 
We're going to summarize them, and we're going to move quickly through his story, but we're going to land towards the end uh, of our story today in 1 Kings chapter 19, and we're going to just see uh, how Elijah dealt with a difficult situation. When he looked around, he said, it's not okay. And he was even able to look and say, I'm not okay, but God is near. So we're going to pick up our story in 1 Kings. Uh, That's probably not a book that you travel to very often, um, but I want to encourage you to use the Bible app on your phone. Just like Trevor mentioned, um, you can fill out a connection card through the Bible app. You can do so many things. If you go to the menu, you click Live Events, and uh, your phone knows your Element Church, and then you can follow along. And so I'm going to encourage you uh, to follow along with us today. All the scriptures that we're going to read and cover are already laid out in the Bible app if you click Element Church. Uh, and so it'll make it easier for you to follow along. But not only do you get to follow along with the verses, if you're in the Bible app, you can also highlight. You can take notes. You can save things uh, so that you can review and look at them later. And I encourage you to do that. And so what we see, and let me set up the, the background to what's happening for Elijah. Uh, We are about a hundred years since King David uh, sat on the throne as the ruler and leader of the nation of Israel. We, We talked about David last week because Ruth, because she chose faith over fear, had the pleasure and the joy and the opportunity to be the great grandmother of King David, who also uh, was a part of the lineage of Jesus himself. So we talked about King David a little bit last week, and so we're about a hundred years since David has sat on the throne, and things are not going well. Things are going terribly bad, in fact. Uh, earlier this year, we did a, a series in which we walked through the entire story of the Bible. We called that series the Grand Narrative, and in seven weeks, we covered the entire story of the Bible. We began uh, with creation, and talking about how God created all things including us, and because he created us, we owe him our worship, our allegiance, our obedience. But in the next phase of the story that we titled The Fall, Adam and Eve, who represent us in many ways, chose to give what was rightfully God's and turn it to themselves. They decided, I don't want to worship God as God. I would rather be my own God in my life. And they suffered the terrible consequences of their decision, just like you and I suffer the consequences for our sin. But God was faithful, and God made covenants with people. One in particular with a man named Abraham who said, I'm going to turn you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing to the world. And so um, the next phase, we talked about the covenants that God made with his people. And then the next phase of the story is something that we called kingdom. That God's covenant people established a kingdom. And David was the second king to sit on that throne. And so that's the phase of the story that we're in today. But things have gone terribly wrong since David was king. Matter of fact, um, after David's son Solomon was king, after him, the nation was split into two. It was a terrible civil war. Uh, Everyone was divided. And what the Bible tells us is that most of the kings... There was a kingdom in the south and a kingdom in the north. Most of the kings all the way around were terrible. That they turned their back on God. That they refused to honor and acknowledge God as God. There were occasionally a few bright spots in the south, in Judah. But by and large, all the kings were terrible. And there was one king that the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter uh, 16 who was worse than all of them said that he did more evil in the sight of God than all the kings who had come before him. And his name was Ahab. 
And to make matters worse, he married a woman named Jezebel, who not only was more wicked than he was, but a part of her influence, because she was a foreigner who worshipped false gods, she brought in a lot of false religions and idols. And through her influence, Ahab, the king, set up uh, temples and, and worship poles throughout the nation of Israel for people to worship, to turn their attention away from the one true God who had made a covenant with his people to bless them so that they could be a blessing. And because Jezebel wanted everyone to worship her gods, Baal and Asherah, uh, she killed most of the prophets that existed at the time. And though few who remained alive all went into hiding. She was determined to stamp out anyone who believed in God and wanted to follow and serve him. There was one lone prophet. A prophet is someone who who stands before God's people, before the nation, and speaks on behalf of God and says, this is what God wants you to know. This is what God wants you to do. And there was one lone prophet, a prophet named Elijah, who, though he realized the risk, was going to stand up and represent God to the king, the queen, and the people. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, Elijah stands before the king and says, King, because of your evil deeds, it's going to stop raining. And it won't rain again until I say so. Now imagine the confidence that Elijah must have felt. To be so intimately connected with God, to have experienced God's power in so many ways, that he felt the boldness and the confidence to stand before a king who had been actively killing prophets and say, until I give word, God won't allow it to rain. What we see in chapter 18 is that it didn't rain for more than three years. So the whole nation was in a really tough spot. Finally, we see Elijah face King Ahab once again and says, all right, King Ahab, it's time for a face-off. Here's what I want you to do. You're going to meet me on Mount Carmel. This happened to be a place where uh, King Ahab had put uh, up a pole, an Asherah pole, for people to worship at. And he said, we're going to have a face-off. You bring 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah, and you and I will face off. And we're going to finally find out who the real God is. And so we pick up that story in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to look in verses 20 and 21 together. So Ahab sent to all the people of Israel and gathered the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you go limping between two different options or opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. The people did not answer him a word. Elijah looked at the people and said, you've been following this king long enough. You've been wavering back and forth, back and forth, can't decide what you're going to do. Enough is enough. Let's draw a line in the sand. Decide today who you believe to be the real God and then follow him. But quit wavering back and forth. And so Elijah gives all the prophets of Baal a task. He says, we're both going to set up altars. We're both going to put rocks around it. We're going to set up wood. We're going to put a bull on there. And then we're going to see who the real God is. Because the real God will come and consume that altar with 
fire. So he said, I would like for you guys to go first. And so the 450 prophets of Baal set up their altar, got it ready, and began circling and chanting and crying out for Baal to come and do his thing. And it went on, and it went on, and went on, and went on, and they got more obnoxious and more obnoxious and more obnoxious. And then we see Elijah step in. And at noon, Elijah mocked them, saying, Cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he is musing, or he is relieving himself, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is asleep and must be awakened. And so, I I normally don't encourage mockery as an effective ministry tool. But Elijah seems to use it pretty well here. He's like, hey, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe we just got to give him a little more time. Maybe he's asleep, and you're just going to have to yell later, louder. Maybe, maybe he's distracted. And so the prophets get more and more and more and more obnoxious. And as the day drags on, nothing happens. And so then Elijah begins giving instructions for the altar to be put together so that he can display the one true God and his power says this, and he put wood, put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four jars with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. And he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also. And he put the wood in order and cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, we just read that one. All right, I'll have to read you the next part because uh, that slide got duplicated. And at the time of the offering, uh, Elijah gives instructions and he says, I want you to pour lots and lots of water on here. Now, I want you to imagine two things. First of all, I want you to imagine how difficult that would have been for the people. I mean, they have spent three years in a drought. How precious is that water? And he says, I want you to dump it on the altar. But on top of this, Elijah is going to ensure that God gets all the glory, that no funny tricks are being played. And here's what we know. God loves to be at a disadvantage. God loves to show off his power. In the New Testament, Paul, who we read a lot of his works, Uh, says this, after praying for God to take a weakness away from him, this is how God responds to him. But he, that's God, said to me, that's Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Paul recognized God loves to work at a disadvantage. God loves your weakness. Because God, when God works through your weaknesses, that's where his power and his glory is, on, is the greatest on display. And so as we're in this series and we're talking about being overcomers, sometimes I know the temptation is to say, uh, man, I would love to be an overcomer, but my situation is too bad. But I've just screwed up too many times. I just don't have anything to offer. I'm at the end of my rope. I've tried everything I can and nothing has worked. 
even the people around me are starting to question my sanity about even moving forward or trying anymore. And it, it's when it looks like all hope is lost, that's God's specialty. When it looks like there is no hope of overcoming, that's when God loves to step in because God loves to be at a disadvantage. And so all this water has been poured on the offering. And this is what happens next. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. So Elijah is calling out to God based on the covenant promise. We just talked about covenant a minute ago. The covenant that God made with Abraham that said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. I'm going to bless you so that you can be a blessing. He says, God of that covenant, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, if you've been in church for a while, uh, you might be familiar with this story. But this isn't the end of the story that I want us to focus on. It is a great moment. It is a great opportunity to see that even when God's at a disadvantage and, and operating in our weakness, when it doesn't look like he could come through, that's God's specialty. That's when he likes to come through and, and show that he is an overcomer. That he is greater than he who is in this world. But this isn't really where the story ends. As you can imagine, uh, this puts Ahab in a difficult place because he's now been embarrassed. It puts him in a really difficult place because his wife is now even more angry and Elijah's the one lone public prophet still alive. And so what we see as we move into chapter 19 is that Jezebel decides she is bound and determined to kill Elijah. And so he goes on the run. There's just a couple of verses out of chapter 19 that I want us to look at. In verse 4, But he, that's Elijah himself, went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Elijah looks around and he says, This is, this is not okay. I'm not okay. I've done everything I was supposed to do, but the pressure on me hasn't been taken away. I've done everything right, and people still are coming after me. I've seen God move and at work and work in other people. After this display on Mount Carmel, it said that the people's hearts turned back to God. Elijah says, it hasn't gotten better for me. So then we see Elijah hide in a cave, hiding for his own life. And there he came to a cave and lodged in it. Behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, I don't know exactly the nuance of how God means this question, but there's a lot of ways that we could read this question. 
One of them being like putting the emphasis on the what. What are you doing here, Elijah? Why are you in hiding? Why are you backing away? After you've seen all that I could do, Elijah, you think now I won't protect you? After seeing me consume everything in that altar and turning the hearts of the people back to me, you, you, you somehow think I'm not powerful enough to protect you from the queen? What are you doing here, Elijah? Or maybe it was more like, what are you doing here, Elijah? I mean, I could, I could expect it from other people, but Elijah, you've seen my power. Elijah, you and I have such an intimate connection that that I gave you permission to stop the rain and I won't make it rain until you give the word, Elijah. All you had to do was cry out to me and I consumed that altar with fire. I get why maybe other people would be in hiding, but what are you doing here? Or maybe God put the emphasis towards the end. What are you doing here, Elijah? In a cave? Hiding? When I've given you this ministry to the whole nation, you're the only prophet left. What are you doing here? Is this where I called you to be? Is this what I've tasked you with? Elijah, what are you doing here? And I'm going to guess as you sit there this morning, Asking the question one of those ways resonates with you. Because maybe you look at your own life and you wonder, man, what am I doing here? Why am I in hiding? Why am I, why am I here? So then we see this exchange, and this is how I want us to close in reflection today. And he said, this is Elijah's response. I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Elijah says, it's not okay, and I'm not okay. And God responds, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and strong wind, tore the mountains and broke it in pieces, the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. In this Hebrew, you can, you can also translate it in the sound of a soft silence. And then when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah had seen God in some miraculous ways. But here in this moment, as Elijah looked and he said, it's not okay. This is not okay. When he was just honest and he said, I'm not okay. I'm the only one left, God, and they're trying to kill me. And then this rushing wind comes. 
then this mighty earthquake comes. And then this consuming fire, the same fire that God used to reveal himself on the mountain, comes, but God's not there. And instead, in the soft silence, God speaks. In this series, Overcomers, we talk about our faith and our reliance and our trust in God, that we, through God, are overcomers. And sometimes we wonder, is God there? Because we don't see him. Because we're looking for the mighty rushing wind. We're looking for the earthquake. We're looking for him in this fire. We're saying, God, everyone around me sees you and experiences you in this really cool and really powerful and really awesome way. But I don't, where are you, God? And sometimes in those moments, when we're looking for him in the fire and in the earthquake and the wind, when we're looking for him in those big powerful moments it turns out that God is waiting for us in that soft silence that if we'll take a moment to stop and to slow down and to listen that God will speak to us there are times in our life when we look and we say it's not okay I'm not okay but if we'll just stop if we'll just slow down for a minute will recognize that God is near. Maybe he's not showing up in the way that we're expecting him to. Maybe he's not showing up in the way that he has in the past. Maybe Elijah was expecting him in the fire just like he had experienced the day before. But if we'll take a moment to stop and to pause and to breathe and to quit trying to put God inside a box, Expecting God to do what we want him to do. If we'll slow down and listen, we'll realize that God is near. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our time that we have to come together. To think on and reflect on your goodness, your grace in our lives. And God, if we're honest, we all recognize that there are times and seasons where uh, we're just not okay. And I know it's not always popular for us to admit that, but there are just seasons where our circumstances, it's just not okay. It's difficult. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem fair. But we take heart because you are near. And in that soft silence, you reveal yourself to us. In those moments where we feel out of place, you meet us. I want you to keep your eyes closed. And I want to give you a moment to have that soft silence. I want to give you some space to hear that still, soft voice. Life is crazy. It has been for a while. Many of us have kids going back to school. Things are changing with work. It seems like every day something new is happening in our culture, society. There are so many ways for us to be distracted. 
I just want to give you space to have that soft silence. To let God just say, I am near. When it doesn't feel okay, when you don't feel okay, to just let him speak to you. I want to give you that chance this morning as we close in worship. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being near. Even in the times where we don't always see it, we stand on that truth, we stand on that promise, we stand on that hope that you are near. Lord, I pray that you would just in this moment speak to us to let us know that you are near. That even when we're running and we're hiding, that you come find us, that you come speak to us.